IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of IB Talk, the insurance industry's global podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. Uh, and this isn't a repeat. I'm still Paul Lucas, IB's managing editor, uh, but you might be forgiven for getting a small sense of deja vu on this episode because I'm about to repeat a message the insurance industry has seemingly been listening to nonstop over the last five years or so uh, adapt to emerging risks and new technologies or be left behind. Uh, Some of you listening to this might be thinking, well, I'm doing just fine so far. Uh, But what if you could do so much better? What if there was a serious financial case for embracing this new landscape and bringing your business forward? Uh, Today, to discuss those opportunities and plenty more on top, I'm delighted to welcome Kenneth Saldana, the Senior Managing Director at Accenture. Uh, Kenneth, welcome to IB Talk. Paul, delighted to be here and always happy to talk about this topic. So, Kenneth, before we um, dive in here, um, most of us are probably familiar with the Accenture name already. It's a, a, a global multinational firm, a, a global, uh, a Fortune Global 500 company. It's got revenues of more than 44 billion last year, I believe. Um, but perhaps it's best known as a consultancy. Um, tell me how the company works with insurers. Yeah, Paul, as you said, you know, we have an extremely broad global footprint. Uh, as we look at our work with insurers, it really comes across our service groups. We do work with our insurers globally, both for our carriers who actually have footprint across multiple parts of the of the, uh, of the world, as well as local and regional carriers. Um, the service groups that we work with are really explicitly around strategy and consulting, which is more of our advisory work. We do a lot of work with digital and interactive. Um, that includes work we, we do with applied intelligence and analytics. And then, of course, there's uh, our technology brand, which I think is probably uh, still the best known of the Accenture brands and service groups, as well as our operations group, where we actually run and deliver a lot of services for insurers. So our service groups and our geographies really uh, cut, as you said, a very wide swath globally. And you are, of course, the the global lead for Accenture's insurance practice. So give us um, a little insight here as to to what a typical day looks like for you and and, and sort of the, I guess, the advice that you're you're offering to insurance companies. Sure. Well, you know, uh, particularly in the last year, a typical day has been uh, quite atypical, to say the least. Um, But essentially, if you look at uh, what uh, how we spend our time uh, for anyone in, in my sort of role, the industry sector lead roles, um, you know, it, it's a little bit of a, a blend between the, the management of that sector uh, and then a lot of it still remains uh, core market-facing work with our clients. So I would say I spend probably half my time involved with our, our largest accounts, our uh, what we call our diamond accounts and our transformation programs um, in which you know, we're involved in uh, really making substantive changes with those carriers. So I would say I spend half my time um, interacting with our with our teams and our uh, delivery teams with those uh, major clients. Uh, for better or for worse, there's always some degree of internal management of running uh, a large global sector within Accenture. So I have to admit there's probably a quarter of my time that goes towards those internal mechanics. And then I'm actually personally involved in the actual, you know, with clients and with uh, colleagues I've had uh, in the industry for a very long time. So those are my personal sort of clients as well. So um, I, I, it's been it's been fun to actually, on the one hand, expand beyond my own 
core personal clients and then start to work more broadly with Accenture's relationships. But uh, above all else, you know, I think uh, we remain very much a market-facing set of roles and, and all of our leaders intend to spend you know, a, a good two-thirds to 75% of our time very much in market with our clients uh, and then run the sectors uh, you know, with the rating part of that time. And, and what led you into this role specifically? I mean, was insurance something that you were always interested in or, or did it sort of develop as your niche over time? Um, very much the latter, uh, Paul. I can't, I can't, I cannot claim to have any particular uh, proclivity towards insurance when I started consulting. Uh, I literally ran into a set of uh, mentors and colleagues who uh, I just loved working with, and that's how I ended up in insurance. And if I, I think that's probably consistent with the experience of most people who are uh, in consulting and insurance. I don't think it's the kind of sector that people come to consulting to say, I, I want to specialize in insurance. So it's really been uh, the draw of some very strong uh, colleagues and mentors that I had uh, in the insurance sector. Um, in this role in particular, you know, my focus for a long time was pr- purely on uh, on strategy consulting. And I was, uh, you know, that's that was my background. When I joined Accenture, I worked primarily on the North America strategy business for uh, for Accenture and then expanded more to globally what we were doing for service offerings in strategy and then um, really have stepped into the overall sector role in the last you know 18 months so that's been uh, that's been the journey is uh, a sort of uh, finding my way into insurance based on some great people and then expanding my purview uh, both from North America to globally as well as from strategy to the full set of services at Accenture and, and just focusing on that sort of strategy element that you mentioned there, um, is that a case of, you know, you, the insurance company sort of coming to you and saying, we have a problem, can you help us solve it? Or is it a case of, you know, you're sort of presenting to the insurance companies and helping them to, to deal with certain issues? It certainly is a mix of both. Paul, I do think that there are situations where our clients have a very clear strategic question that they want examined and they want uh, a tangible plan for that, that that gives them line of sight to better outcomes. Um, but there's certainly been the case where we have some of the conversations. I often tell new uh, consultants, right? How how can you tell if it's a if it's a strategy project? It's sometimes a strategy project because the client can't articulate the question very well, right? And so that's part of what the work we do is actually sit down and say, well, things aren't going well. Well. So let's talk about that and figure out what exactly does that mean? How do we start to structure that into a framework that allows us to actually get eventually line of sight to some set of actions that are going to give you that sustainable advantage in the market? So it very much is uh, both sides of that coin. Uh, And at this point, there's a number of folks who actually have a strategy background who are in insurance organizations and in leadership roles. So in those situations, they certainly have a very clear sense of what they're looking for. But in many other situations, we're jointly navigating to what the core issue is, what the problem statement is, and then what the solution needs to look like. Well, let's focus in on something that I know that you're very passionate about, which is this idea that insurers really need to sort of look beyond the core, if you want, in order to, to grow their revenues. Um, can you explain to us a little bit about what you mean by that? Sure. Um, you know, I think if you look at if you look at the insurance sector, one of the things that uh, it 
can give you a sense of security, and I would argue a sense of false security, is that the sector is incredibly resilient. Right? If you look at our long-term trajectory of growth, uh, there's always been a slow and steady growth in the sector. And even given all of the events of the last 12 to 18 months, we're still actually seeing that sort of growth continue, sort of GDP plus basis points growth uh, in, in the sectors. So that creates a bit of a sense of, you know, things are going to be continued to grow. And, and it, there's also, I think, regulation and the requirement to purchase insurance and many of those kinds of events have always created this buffer of security. What we talk about with insurers is largely the notion that, you know, we don't think of the issues in insurance as being sort of big bang disruption. We're not, we don't think you're going to wake up some morning and say, there's a new entrance who's who's just blown up your business. Instead, what we see in insurance is this notion of compressive disruption, a very long, slow, steady squeeze where there are new entrants or there's new expectations. And eventually what insurers find themselves dealing with is a slowed revenue trajectory, but most importantly, losing out parts of that economic value chain that are the higher returns. Um, and, you know, I think, the industry as, as a whole will certainly acknowledge that I think, um, for the most part, insurers constantly fight from being placed in the position of pure capital capacity. They're the ones who have the low ROE capital behind the risk, whereas whether it's the distribution or the service or the experience is being carved off by the new entrants. So our message to insurers is you're going to continue to see that compressive disruption that squeezes you over time uh, if you don't actually find a different way to engage with customers and to take a different position and a more prominent position across that economic value chain. And that's where we sort of focus in on saying you have to do something different to get to both the revenue side of the equation, but also equally important, the ROE and the profitability of what you're engaging with with the customers. Yeah, and this is quite an imminent threat, isn't it? Because I, I know that Accenture um, recently released a report. It was entitled Insurance Revenue Landscape 2025, Innovate for Resilience. Um, and that outlined that about $280 billion of existing premium uh, could be displaced by digital insurance options um, as early as 2025. So, I mean, can you expand a little bit on, on what those digital options refer to? Because we, we hear about so many of them all the time. Are we, are we talking about here um, things along the lines of paper mile car insurance, um, digital wellness apps that are impacting health insurance? Uh, what would you focus in on? Yeah, well, I think, you know, let's break it out into three sort of very distinct elements of that story, right? I think, uh, and, and the examples you gave are very much in line with that, right? So um, for us, we think about three very distinct elements that are at play. Uh, there's usage, there's behavior, and there's convergence, right? So from the usage perspective, it's exactly your, you know, pay-by-the-mile insurance, right? So the notion of saying, I mean, overall, cost, you know, our, what we hear in the market from consumers um, is this is this desire for a more customized or personalized offer? Whether that's in the small commercial world with a you know business owner saying you have to understand my business to write insurance for me, or the very standard kind of auto, I just don't drive as much, so I want a different answer. Right. So I think there's a very clear sense of understanding what usage looks like and being able to tailor your products and your services to usage. 
we make a distinction between usage and then behavior. And that is more of the risk profile of how you actually conduct that usage, right? And so it's one thing to say, I simply don't commute as much and I want to pay by the mile. It's different to say, is your driving subject to that heartbreaking? Is your is it late at night? Is it, you know, on, on places where there's high risk? Flip that over to kind of some of the personal cyber coverages we're seeing. And is that, you know, are you actually one of those folks who hasn't changed the password on your router and it's still admin and you'd never bother to download any of the, you know, virus protection materials out there? And do you tend to click on emails you get in Gmail? That's behavior, right? And that's somewhat distinct from, from usage. So we do think usage is key, behavior is key. And then there's the notion of convergence, which is, I think you mentioned the digital health apps. Uh, that to us is a is a enormous change of what's happening here. As people bleed together, their overall desire for sort of protection, right? And this circle of protection that cuts across uh, not just one asset class or one particular financial element, but really the full breadth of what our customers are exposed to is this no such a notion of convergence. Now, one of the things that you will see as a common thread across that is whether you're talking about usage or behavior or convergence across your health and financial and asset base, there's an underlying sense of you have to have a different level of continual engagement with your customer. And you've got to have real-time information flowing through sensors, through the IoT devices out there, essentially cloud-based infrastructure that lets you digitally interact in this much more real-time and personalized manner that reflects those three elements. So that's to us sort of the way we would start to cut apart when we just say broadly, you have to change the way you interact and you have to have it have this kind of digital flavor to it. Those are some of the nuances of what we're describing. Sure, but is there, um, I guess, one, um, maybe we can call it a digital offering that sort of stands out above all others? Is, and is, is there indeed one area of insurance, whether that's health, life, car, home, um, that you think is, is more likely to be heavily impacted than others uh, in terms of the influence that these digital options are going to have? You know, I, I would go to, Paul, the example that you flagged, which is around this convergence into health. I mean, I think the topic of you know, the, the positioning and market around wellness, uh, I think, is, is probably the one I would point to the most. And this is, in, in essence, it's an umbrella term, right? And, but I think it's, it's also why it's such a critical element. But this notion of saying you're not going to create artificial distinctions between, you know, the various elements in which you're looking for protection, right? And so your health, as well as your finances and your car and your home and your business, uh, your, le- your, your employment status, your benefits... All of these are essentially come together for the sense of wellness. And I think we're seeing most insurance companies actively pursue what is it that they have to bring together in an ecosystem because no insurance company has the full breadth of that offering to to offer up to their customers. So I do think that this notion of, of wellness and the convergence across these sectors and these offerings uh, brought together in a way that is very compelling around this notion of you're protected. Broadly speaking, your interests are protected as opposed to your car is protected and you have benefits and you have a retirement account. That separation, I think, is going to, we see that really going away and that convergence into wellness of saying, are your interests 
protected within this circle of protection that you're getting from an insurer is really what we see as a, as a really key change. So you think that it's it's going to be necessary then for insurers to almost diversify the uh, the options that they're putting in front of consumers? Absolutely. And and by the way, by diversify, it doesn't mean that they have to be the ones who actually own and deliver all of it, right? But you can absolutely, you have to diversify, I think, because customers are looking for that aggregated answer. But you can diversify with, with ecosystem partners, with different parts of you know your different sectors. So uh, absolutely, you have to diversify, but you don't have to do it alone. And is this really just about sort of putting customers first because their expectations have changed? So, I mean, you know, we all, for example, I'm, I'm sure shop on Amazon and, and other uh, online retailers now. Um, and, and because we've got that sort of instant click and uh, get exactly the service that we expect, um, we're now looking for insurance providers to, to offer the same thing? Yeah. Or is this more about, you know, the, the sort of the way that we want to actually purchase insurance? For example, we just want to be able to, to go through our mobile phones rather than perhaps sitting down with a broker. So, the, so Paul, you're, you're poking at a pet peeve of mine, which is this notion that, you know, why is, an in, why is an insurance like, you know, buying something on Amazon, right? And, and unfortunately, the fundamental nature of the offer is not one where you look online and see something you like and click it and then a box shows up with exactly what you wanted, you know, hours later, right? I mean, this, I don't think it's about just how people purchase. I think it's fundamentally how people think about what do I get? And I think for all of us who actually, you know, work in no insurance well, have heard that wonderful statement, well, you know, I bought insurance and I and, and nothing happened, so I didn't get anything for it, right? Now this is actually a very a very toxic sentiment for for the industry, but it's a very real sentiment. And and when we look at what's happening in market, you know, this sense of you know what is the purpose and what is the actual kind of what does the insurance brand stand for is one that I think requires some real work because there is that sentiment out there saying, well, I bought insurance and one or two things happen. I didn't get anything for it. Or something happened and then the insurance company argued with me about how much they were going to pay me for, right? So that dynamic, you know, when we talk about, you know, what has to change, we're really talking about fundamentally what people think that they get for insurance has to change. Now, what does that look like? You know, when we look at our customer surveys in market, we see a couple of really big changes, right? I mean, in, in the data we see, there's two areas of very, very strong dissonance with customers. On the one hand, customers have told us that they feel more exposed and more at risk than ever before. And at the same time, they're saying, but by the way, my insurance products don't make me feel any better. So they're not getting what they want in terms of protection from the existing products and services. You also hear customers saying they don't really think companies in general and insurance companies in particular are going to treat and, and, uh, use their data well, but to go back to the earlier discussion, they are willing to share data to get that usage and behavior-based products that would be more personalized to them. So we've got customers essentially in a state of cognitive dissonance, and someone's going to step in to help guide where that goes, right? And what we see as being a fundamental change for the industry is to say, when you think about what does a customer get we're talking about reimagining insurance away from a pure indemnity offering into much more of a risk mitigation and risk management and protection offering, right? So 
that's where you get something when you buy insurance. And it's much more now on this ongoing continual engagement around how are we helping you manage your risk? So it's 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 all of those things brought together, but fundamentally in a way that, that gets away from this notion that because I purchased a, an indemnity product, I either didn't get some didn't get anything or I got something at a very high emotional cost. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, insurance is, like you said, it's it's one of those products where you perhaps only see the value of it right now um, when the worst happens. And it, it, I guess it would be um, a, a great situation if insurance can be seen to provide value sort of uh, much, much further across the chain. But I mean, how do insurers start to adapt here? Is, is this as simple as saying, you know, okay, telematics-based policies or, or smart home policies, they seem to work well. We're going to start offering that too. Um, how do they sort of, I guess, get started in, in terms of broadening uh, what they offer to the consumer? Sure. And, and you know, I, I, I would absolutely say this is not a simple question, right? We're talking about organizations, very large organizations with an, a very established book of business that whether or not it's, uh, you know, it, high performing in terms of delivering high ROEs, et cetera, it still is a very substantial and successful business. So it isn't an easy answer. I would push for two things, uh, you know, and, and when we speak with our clients, it's it's always around these two elements, right? One is there is absolutely a, sen- a mindset of saying we have to build a different business as opposed to run a proof of concept. And I would argue all of the new entrants and all of the place, all of the companies who are stepping in and nipping away at those high value parts of the, of the economic value chain have done the proof of concept. So there's got to be a mindset shift to saying we have to build different businesses here as opposed to just, you know, test the waters with a proof of concept because we see a ton of this. You see insurers spending all kinds of time and energy on, you know, you know, corporate venture capital and, and and wandering around in church at conferences. And it's absolutely a petting zoo. You, you wander around, you have some interesting conversations, and then you go back and say, huh, you know, maybe we'll try that out with, you know, these five people in this corner of the business, and that's not going to cut it, right? So I think the first and very important notion is a mindset of building a different business as opposed to dabbling, right? Secondly, we would argue that you have to get into delivering a series of business outcomes as opposed to building a set a series of prioritized capabilities and what i mean by that is you know you really when we look at working with our clients most effectively it is it is not about saying well we're going to build some data analytics and then we're going to build the ability to do some uh, on you know uh, self service capabilities online and then we're going to have an app and you you see this this journey of you know we'll build some capabilities and then over time we'll start to offer different things with that whole new toolkit of capabilities and we really want to change that on its head to say if you want to get out of market and create a wellness offer, or you want to start with a usage and behavior-based product, pick that as your outcome, as your defined business outcome, and then let's put the technology, the operations, the experience, all the elements you need in parallel around that. So it's a sequential set of business outcomes that you're going to pursue, and then you're going to deliver them 
with a set of things in parallel, in particular, the experience, the operations, the technology, right? So those to me are the two biggest things that we push for our clients to kind of make a real difference and to step into a new way of doing business. It's that shift to the mindset of building a substantive business and then do it as a, you know, a series of business outcomes and then in parallel wrap around the capabilities you need to get to that outcome. And, and what role um, do you see insurtechs playing here? Because uh, for a very long time, of course, insurtechs were almost seen as a um, a disruptor for the industry. They were perhaps seen as a competitor, if you want. But it seems more and more as though we've gone down that path of insurtechs providing um, a, a solution to insurance companies. So how much of an influence do you think that they are going to have going forward? I think they're going to have a high influence, Paul. I, I think it's, as, as you said earlier on, I mean, when you want to diversify, you don't have to do it all yourself. So you've got, you know, I think incumbent and insurers have the option, and I think they've been exercising that option of working with insurtechs to really accelerate what they want to be doing in market themselves, right? So, you know, a lot of what we see with insurtechs is great ideas, great concept, great technology. Two things have to be true. They have to be contextualized much more effectively to the insurance business, and they have to be scaled. And those are things that large established insurance companies can do very well. They have a depth of knowledge of how to contextualize a great idea into what works in insurance. And they have the ability to scale these things at a pace and, and magnitude that a startup doesn't. So I think the insurtech opportunities out there for the industry are really important. They bring some phenomenal ideas into the industry. Um, and what our existing established insurance companies can do is very rapidly contextualize and scale those to great offerings and market to customers. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Kenneth, but uh, from from your time, obviously, spent involved with, with the consultancy of these businesses and so on. I mean, can you think of a, an example that stands out to you of something that's been really effective of an insurance company without necessarily naming the, that particular company that's been particularly um, effective in, in, in sort of introducing one of these innovations and, and reaching the consumers in, in a new way? You know, I, I yes, I, I definitely won't go down the path of naming uh, individual clients, but you know, one of the one of the organizations, a European carrier that we've we've seen do this extremely well, um, in many ways, kind of really implicitly went down the path of saying there's a set of business outcomes. They prioritized a set of ecosystems. They said we we're going to start with personal lines with auto. That's a very established and well defined ecosystem. We want to get to property, both you know, personal as well, so home as well as commercial property, and then we see the health uh, ecosystem. They they map that out very effectively and really created a brand new business, you know, separate from their existing legacy business, um, and said we're going to run at that with these diversified offerings. And the what I thought was great about the way they went at this is that the core guiding principle of of that new business wasn't I want a diversified revenue stream and I want a digital offering or, or any of that. The core guiding premise was how are we going to create offerings in each of these three ecosystems sequentially that deliver continual engagement, right? So how do we stop having either the monthly or, or quarterly or semi-annual billing cycle and then 10% of our, our customers have a claim and move much more into this usage, behavior, you want to watch how your kids are driving. You can do that with us. You want to understand. You want to plug into your 
your you know your nest or your google home or, or what you've set up in your connected home you can do that with us and in many ways a lot of what we've covered today right the, the notion of diversifying of getting to a customer that actually wants usage and behavior recognized that continual engagement around it you know i think they did it extremely well and it's they're two years into that journey they are sequentially building out these business outcomes in each of these ecosystems um, and I think it's it's going to be a really interesting play because as opposed to a, a, a completely new uh, startup, new entrant offer, you've got a major European carrier who's built this business division that is actually doing that sort of stuff. But with the benefit, um, again, of the ability to scale and the ability to contextualize much more than uh, someone who's brand new to the sector. So I think there's absolutely you know, some flashes of genius out there in the industry and that are, that are happening that gives me a lot of hope and optimism for what uh, insurance carriers are going to do in this space. Excellent. Kenneth, it's been a, a delight to have you join us. Um, if, if people want to talk more about uh, the Accenture study or, or perhaps get some further insights from you, um, how can they reach out? Um, you know, the, the revenue landscape piece is available uh, on our online presence on Accenture.com. There's a, there's a blog uh a link on that uh, online presence, which will give you the, the way to reach me, you know, uh, on email or through LinkedIn. So lots of channels open, but, you know, a great place to start is with our with our Accenture.com uh, insurance pages, and you can navigate to all of us through that. And it's me and, a, and our global team across, the, across these topics uh, are happy to engage on this conversation at any time. Yeah, Kenneth, my huge thanks to you again. Um, to everybody listening, uh, we know you're digitally savvy, of course, because you're here with us today. So no excuses. Uh, make sure you're back with us next time here on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.